Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, go and open to Matthew chapter 6. I would encourage you to turn there. We're going to be in Matthew 6 for the next nine weeks. We're starting a new series. Uh, We have finished our series in Colossians, our vision, our purpose. Uh, But honestly, it might feel a little bit of like a tie-in because I was preparing for this and as I was looking through what this, uh, this series is going to be about, I actually worked on this about a year ago. Uh, So I kind of know what we're walking through ahead of time, quite a bit ahead of time. Uh, And Colossians ties in really good to what we're going to be walking through uh, in in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in particular chapter 6. We started this series last fall, uh, actually I think it maybe even have been two years ago, where we started in the Beatitudes. This is where Jesus uh, really lays down No, it was last fall. I'm just going through in my memory. Uh, It was last fall. And so we started in the Beatitudes. This is really where the Sermon on the Mount begins for Jesus in chapter 5. And we are going to pick up his message in chapter 6. Now, if you didn't, weren't here or you don't recall some of the things that we walked through in chapter 5, I want to encourage you, go online. You can go back and look at some of those messages. You can uh, download on the app some of the, the book series um, but while we're focused on chapter 6, I want to just kind of refresh your memory a little bit about where Jesus has already walked us to and where we're going to be picking up from in chapter 6. As I said earlier, the theme for the Sermon on the Mount is going to be, maybe I didn't say it, the theme for the Sermon on the Mount is righteousness. And as we walk through uh, what chapter 5 lays down for us, Jesus tells us a bunch of Beatitudes. Beatitudes basically means blessings. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who thirst or hunger and thirst for righteousness. You start to see this theme of righteousness laid out in Jesus' introduction, his, his beginning portion of his message. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus is really developing what it means and looks like to be righteous in God's eyes. Blessed are those who are reviled and persecuted and utter all kinds of evil against them falsely on my account, he says, as he walks through the Beatitudes. He then walks us through this aspect of what it means to be salt of the earth or light in the world, right? And this this picture that we present and what, what it looks like for us as believers to reflect the character, the light of Christ into the world. We're kind of walking through Matthew 5 here. In fact, in Matthew 5, verse 16, he says this. In the same way, as he's using this illustration of light, 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's very important to understand what Jesus is walking us through in chapter 5. He's saying, listen, I expect, there is an expectation if you're going to call me, uh, or you're going to call yourself a disciple of mine, there is an expectation where I, I expect you to behave or act or be a light in the world in a certain manner. And the reason we do this isn't to bring glory to us, it's to bring glory to the Father. Jesus lays this down as he's walking through Chapter 5, he goes in, and I think this is really where we see the thesis of Jesus' sermon in chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 through 20. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, he lived them out perfectly. From, from being a little kid all the way till the, he breathed his last breath, and he currently still lives them out perfectly the laws of God he didn't come to abolish them he didn't come to make them null and void he came to live them out and give us an example to follow and he continues and he says for truly I say to you till heaven and earth pass away not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until I have until all is accomplished therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is walking us through this understanding, if you will, of, of the requirements, if you will, the, the expectations of us disciples in understanding God's laws. And then he says something in verse 20 that is probably if you were there on the place in the moment when Jesus actually uttered these words, if you were there, you probably would have heard the whole audience go, did he just say what I think he said? Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, there's that key theme, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of of heaven. Now, I don't know how that verse makes you feel inside. You might be just like the people on the, 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 that natural amphitheater when Jesus was giving this sermon, and when they heard Jesus say these words, when the righteousness of the Pharisees, man, this is impossible. That might be a feeling you have in your heart. You're like, man, what is Jesus saying? And as you start to unfold what Jesus does in this message, in his sermon, the rest of chapter 5, he starts bringing the practical and helping us understand what it is that is true righteousness versus what is false righteousness. He starts to basically, in a very meticulous way, tear apart what the religious leaders were calling righteousness. In fact, as you continue in chapter 5, you see Jesus use this comparison and contrast phrase. He says, you have heard that it was said. In contrast, he says, but I say to you. And he talks about subjects like anger, lust, marriage, and divorce. Our word or what it means to make an oath. What it means to, with retaliation or revenge. And this aspect of loving your enemies. In fact, he, he says in that very last phrase, you have heard it said, this is what he's contrasting, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, what they were teaching, their idea of righteousness, 
And what he's doing is he's contrasting it in comparison to what God says is actually righteous. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what they were teaching. It's okay to hate your enemy. But nowhere in God's word does it say to do that. In fact, Jesus helps us understand what the law, what the true intent of the law is, and that is to love our enemies. It's just turns everything upside down. And so Jesus is continuing this comparison and contrast in a lot of ways from what we've learned in Matthew chapter 5, and he's continuing into it, into chapter 6, and really expounding on what it looks like for us as believers, his disciples, to live in righteousness. And this is where we pick up in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He's going to start walking us through The difference of what genuine, authentic, righteous living looks like versus what the false, and you're going to see this phrase come up multiple times in chapter 6, but what the hypocrites, what the hypocrites call righteousness. And so let's begin in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we'll read what Jesus is teaching us in his sermon as we have picked up from chapter 5 and we're continuing into chapter 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness. There again, you see his theme laid out. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may give, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's unpack this a little bit for us and what what Jesus is walking us through, and how to be righteous disciples that follow and reflect his character. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Again, I always come to you with a heart of gratitude because you've done so much in my own life. Lord, I pray as we walk through this, this series, as we walk through this chapter, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, in my heart, Lord, and in every other person here that is listening and and listening to your words, Lord, that you would prick the hearts that need to be touched on this and encourage those who are doing right. Lord, be with us this morning. I pray that the presence of your spirit would move here. I would be just a man that's put off to the side and people would hear your words and not mine. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When we look at that as Jesus' sermon is coming in, the first phrase is this aspect of beware. Jesus is saying, hey, there's something to be cautious of. Beware. Be careful is another way you might say it. Hey, there's something to be cautious of. There's something to be careful of because there is difference between what is true and what is false. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. I love that Jesus uses that word practice. I don't know if you've ever had to do anything in life, whether it's in school project, maybe you get in front of people, maybe it's a sports. No one becomes really proficient at something unless they practice it. Isn't that true? I mean, it could be your career, your job, 
whatever you're doing. There's an element of practice that is involved. And here Jesus says, hey, be careful that when you are practicing, when you are trying to become better, when you, this is what we would call in the church sanctification, when you're doing this, make sure to be careful the warning of how not to present it to other people. How not to be, if you will, a showman of your righteousness. And so he says, be careful of practicing your righteousness. And I want to read this aspect of righteousness and what it really means. And maybe you might be here like, man, righteousness, what does that really apply? As I was reading through, uh, I use this book for, for quite frequently, Lexham's Theological Workbook. Gives a great definition of the Greek word and helps me understand it in English, what it might apply to. So if you'll just allow me, I'm going to read an excerpt from that. When it comes to this very word, righteousness, the synonym, or it can mean justice. Justice or righteousness, they go hand in hand. And it is defined as the quality of being in accordance with God's law. It refers both to moral righteousness and legal justice. Righteousness, this word that they use in Greek. It's used 78 times in the New Testament. It is uh, for something to be righteous, it is to be in accordance, again, like I said, with God's law. To judge what is righteous is to determine how the law applies to a specific situation. To be righteous of a crime is to be innocent of it, clearly. To have a, I guess you would say, a just judgment or a just view of righteousness is to have an equitable judgment in accordance with God's will. This is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus is fundamentally laying down as he's walking through his sermon. He's saying, hey, listen, there's an element of being righteous that is a requirement that is expected, if you will, of God's children. And there are ways in which we can practice this righteousness that is pleasing to God, and there are ways in which we can practice this righteousness that is not pleasing to God. It's disingenuous versus being genuine. And I love how he walks through this element. In 1 John, you actually see a correlation here in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verses 28 through 29. John writes it like this. And now, little children, of course, children of God, abide in him. Who's him? That's Jesus. Abide in Jesus. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him, that's Jesus, in shame at his coming. This ties into our summer series in Revelation. Jesus is coming again, right? We know this. This is a definitive. It's an absolute truth. Jesus is, in fact, coming again. And what John is saying here as he's walking through this aspect of righteousness, he says, hey, listen, make sure you are abiding in him. You're connected to him. You understand his desire for your life. This ties in also with Colossians, Paul's prayer for the people was that they would know God's will in their life and how to live in a manner that was worthy. Here, John is saying this. Listen, understand what righteousness means. Understand what it means to abide in him so that when he returns, we're not cowering in shame. We have actually this confidence. We have this, this confidence that we know, hey, I've done what is right. I've walked in the way that the Lord has asked me to walk, and I'm excited at his return. I'm not shameful. I'm not hiding, I'm not cowering. That's what John is referring to here. Shrinking from him in shame. 
at his coming. Verse 29, if you know that he, that is Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, there it is again, this element of putting it to work, to actually walk through it, not just talking about it, but practicing it, putting it to work, living it out in your life, practicing righteousness, he goes on and says, has been born of him. It's a qualifier. It's a qualifier of if you are of God. John uses it as a qualifier. Listen, you want to know if you are walking as a child of God? Are you practicing righteousness? I know that sounds really scary. It might be one of those (gasps) moments in your life, just as the people on the amphitheater where Jesus was giving this sermon might have heard Jesus' words and go, are you kidding? The righteousness of the Pharisees? Who can exceed that? That's impossible. I love that John says, hey, this is a part of what we are to do. This is how we are to uh, walk in practicing righteousness. This is not a new concept. This is not something that Jesus just came up with. It's something that has been taught from the very beginning. It comes from the very law of God, this aspect of walking in righteousness. Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 through 13. When you make your neighbor alone of any sort, you may not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, and that that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. What is Deuteronomy talking about? This is a business transaction. But yet there is a right way to conduct yourself, as in this passage's teaching, as a business person who has the ability to give to or loan to the needy. And what, what he's laying down in Deuteronomy is, is, hey, listen, and you may have this perspective in your mind of a loan shark. But if you make a loan, what that passage is saying is you do not have the right to go into their house and demand it or beat them up, if you will, to get your loan back. <laughs> this is what a righteous person uh, does not do. And in contrast, if you are giving to a man who is poor, all he has for collateral may be the very coat that he wears to keep himself warm. And in this passage, it's teaching, listen, don't even hang on to it as collateral. Don't use this poor man's cloak yourself, but make sure you give that collateral back to the man, whether he pays you back or not. Give it back to him so that he will bless you. And then the Lord says, this is this action, this act that you take as a man, as a business person, as a woman, whatever. He says, this act that you do, Jesus says, God says, it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. In other words, God sees it and he says, this man is acting right. This man or this woman, whoever's doing this action, they're doing what God expects them to do. This ties right into the passage of Matthew 6 where Jesus is telling us when and how we are to give to the needy. Psalms. 112. I was looking for a scripture that really defines the character of a righteous man. 
Psalms 112 is an excellent passage that walks us through what it looks like to be righteous. Psalms 112, beginning in verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his, the Lord's commandments. His offerings will be mighty in the land. His offsprings will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright or the righteous. He is gracious, he is merciful, and righteous, or just is another word you could put there. It is well with the man who deals generously and leads, or and lends. He's generous, he lends, he, he gives of the wealth he has to those who are in need, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm. He is constantly trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. His horn is is exalted in honor The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth yet and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. This Psalms is a great passage if you really want to understand the character and behavior of what it looks like to be righteous. And we see this. We see that the righteous fear God. They delight in his commandments. The righteous kids will be blessed. We see that a righteous person is gracious, merciful, He is gracious and he is merciful. He is upright. He is just. He is righteous. We see that he has not moved or he is firm and he he doesn't get, he doesn't change his mind about the way he sees God or the way he knows he's supposed to conduct himself. He's not moving. He knows how he's supposed to act. I love this. He trusts in the Lord, particularly in hard times. Or times that are difficult, that come with bad news. He has a steady heart. One that is not disheartened by fear. Earthly fears, anxieties, things that come up in day-to-day life. He gives freely to the poor. And I love this aspect. The wicked can't stand him. I was like, man, why is it that the... I, would, I don't know if it's because maybe they just feel guilty around him? I have no idea why the wicked would despise somebody that walks in this manner, other than it makes them look bad. That's the only thing I can think of. Why else would the wicked, somebody who is kind, generous, reflecting the character and behavior of God, a person who is just and righteous, unless they're afraid of being called out by their own unrighteousness because they're wicked? It's an excellent passage to see. As we go back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Jesus' warning as we live out our lives as believers 
who are reflecting the character and behavior of God, his righteousness, Jesus is warning on our heart's motive and why we do what we do. Why are we giving to the needy? Is it so other people see us and praise us and say nice things about us? Why are we reflecting the character of God? Is it people see us and say, hey, you're really spiritual, man. You're, you're really good. Oh, man, you must be really close with God. Do we, do we do that so people praise us? Again, this ties back into some of those verses we read earlier. Our motive should be to praise, that the praise goes right straight through to God. And Jesus is calling out the motive of the heart. And what he's doing is, as we've laid out in the earlier chapters, he's laying out the contrast between a false righteousness that the Pharisees did, the scribes and Pharisees acting like hypocrites, versus a true righteousness that he expects from his own children, from his believers. This word hypocrite, this is a theatrical term. We hear it and use it in common language, but it was in the Greek a very, very much a theatrical term. It had to do with putting on a mask and playing a character. This was a hypocrite in the theater. If you were playing a different part and you had multiple parts, you would put on different masks. And so you were playing the part of the hypocrite. You would be here one moment and you would be there another moment, putting on a mask, playing a part. You were a pretender. This is literally how this word hypocrite plays out. Jesus, as he's walking us through this passage of how we are to care for those who are in need, he says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. See, that's what the hypocrites did, the pretenders, the mask wearers, the religious leaders. They would literally make a a massive convocation like, hey, everybody, look at me. Whether it was to give of their offering in the temple, maybe they had a big bag and they were extremely wealthy if you were in the religious society then as a scribe or a Pharisee. And they went, hey, everybody, take a look. And they would pour their money so it makes a bunch of noise in the box, the giving box, and everybody would see and hear. Like, yeah, sound the trumpet. Let I'm here, everybody. I'm here. I just gave to the Lord. Aren't I awesome? This is, I mean, we see this and we go, man, that's gross. Don't we? Like when we really lay it out. But this was common. Or when they were in the streets. This says that and they were in the synagogue and they were in the streets. That means that there may have been those who were in need asking for alms and, and asking the Pharisees to help them out. They would be lined up with the street begging, if you will. And what they would do is, hey, I want everybody, hey, guys, I'm helping this guy out today. Come with me. I'll feed you. Making a big deal out of it, showing everybody, hey, listen, I'm taking care. Aren't I cool? I'm the guy, I know. Right? Like, we look at this now in our own minds and we go, man, this is insane. You see somebody doing that in today's day and age and you go, man, you're a little full of yourself. But the harsh reality is there's a lot of Christians putting on a mask and pretending. We can look at that silly example of somebody trying to care for the needy and we don't ever say, oh, that's, that's not me. The mask wearers, the hypocrites, and Jesus is going to walk us through the difference between what a hypocrite does, the mask he wears, the, the pretend that he does, why he does it, his motive that's rooted in his heart. He tells us very clearly that their motive, as you continue in that verse in chapter 6, verse 2, 
They do these things in front of the synagogue. They do it in the streets so everybody sees them. They make the big announcement, the proclamation, hey, I'm here. You might even put this phrase, here I am to save the day. Right? Like this is the attitude that they come to it with. I'm, here. I'm not a great singer, so please, you know, don't, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. But that's the idea, right? I'm here to save the day. Look at me. I'll solve all your problems. Their heart as that passage continues, is so that they may be seen or be praised by others. That's their motive. Their whole motive is rooted in the praise of men, that other people would see them. And Jesus says, truly, to those people who have that heart, who are motivated by that praise, they receive their reward. That's it. That's all they get in life. I want you to think about what they are trading Because Jesus goes on to talk about those who give in the right manner, who give in the manner that Jesus expects his kids to give in. The contrast is so dramatic, the reward contrast, if you will. The reward contrast is, hey, listen, I want everybody to see how awesome I am. And there might be people that go, man, you're really awesome. Man, that was really cool. Man, you're a really good guy. Great. That's all you get. That's shallow. I don't know if you know that. I'm not trying to be harsh, but if that's all you're looking for is the praise of men, that's shallow. It's empty. It's hollow. It's short-lived. Because guess what? As soon as the praise is gone, so is your reward. It's something that you have to keep going after and keep doing because, hey, this is what it's all about, man. If all I'm after is the praise of men for the sake of my own glory, it's shallow and it's empty. You could even walk it down this line. If all you're seeking is the praise of yourself, you have turned yourself into an idol. I want people to see how good I am. I want people to see how awesome I am. I want people to see all you're doing is trying to glorify yourself and make yourself be the primary thing that people praise. That's idolatry, as Paul puts it. It's a dangerous thing, and Jesus, of course, is warning us, beware. Be careful. Be careful how you are acting righteously you're practicing your righteousness this aspect of the hypocrite man jesus is is no joke when it comes to calling out the hypocrite all through matthew jesus addresses the issues with the religious leaders and you might think well john we don't operate in that kind of era today we don't, we don't really do those things. We know we're not part of the Jewish culture. We don't, we don't have Pharisees and scribes. Those guys, Jesus dealt with them. They're done. They're gone. That's not something we really have to walk through anymore. Let me just read some of what Jesus talks about when it comes to the hypocrite. Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. Jesus says this, You hypocrites, speaking, of course, to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people, speaking of the hypocrites, the religious leaders, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, I don't know if that applies to anybody in here, but I know when I was preparing for this a year ago and even this week, man, that can hit home that can hit real close to home. Are you just trying to honor God with your lips, but your heart is so far from him? 
Is it a show you put on, a mask you present yourself with? Say, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I put the mask on. Everybody look at me. I'm playing the part of a Christian. But deep inside, your heart is far from God. It it applies to us today. Jesus continues in Matthew 23, verses 23. Woe to you, again, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He uses this term. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What does Jesus call the weightier matters of the law? This is actually the very character traits we saw earlier in Psalms. You can correlate this very thing that Jesus is teaching right to that passage in Psalms. He says says this, these are the weightier matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These are important aspects that we are to be living out as believers. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus, as he continues in Matthew 23, there's several passages. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Greed and self-indulgence. You make it all about yourself. This is what Jesus is walking through. I want you to see the connection. And as Christians, we are very guilty of this sometimes. I'm not trying to beat you up. I I understand this is, as we walk through Psalms, or as we walk through Matthew chapter 6, there are going to be moments, many moments, I unfortunately have to tell you, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Hey, man, I got to examine my heart. Man, I got to examine what Jesus is telling me to do, and how I'm to respond, and how I'm to act. And I can't do it to glorify myself. I can't be greedy. I can't be self-indulgent. And as he walks through this text, as he's talking about this hypocrite, this is one of the harsher ones. Just a few verses down in Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you appear beautiful. Outwardly, You seem to have it all together. But within, inside, the heart, the motive, where you come from, inside, you are full of dead people's bones and are all unclean. That's harsh. That's really harsh. What he's saying is is you stink. You might have it put on the outside looking good, coming in on church or wherever and presenting yourself, wearing the mask, saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, look at me, I've got it going on. But what he says is your heart smells, it stinks, dead people's bones. I don't know if you've ever been around a rotting, decaying corpse, not human, it could be animal, whatever. But they don't smell good. You see roadkill, right? Like... It's gross. It stinks. That's what Jesus is saying. And you might have it washed really nice on the outside. You might have everybody else fooled. But inside, it stinks. And Jesus, I love how he does this in this passage as he's walking through Matthew 6. He's very clear to point out the warnings. 
The things in our lives that he is trying to caution us to. Be careful of these. Don't act like the hypocrites. Look at what the hypocrites are. This is the reality. This is the truth of the are. They're fake. They're frauds. They're not genuine. They're not authentic. But then he also tells us, he tells us the don't do's. What not to do, I guess, I guess I should say. He tells us what not to do, but he's very balanced in his teaching. And he also tells us what to do. He doesn't just stop and give us the warning and say, okay, I gave you the warning. Figure it out on your own. He's very balanced in his teaching. He says, here's what not to do, and here's what to do. And as we continue in Matthew 6, we see Jesus lay this balanced teaching out when he says in verse 3, but when you do give to the needy. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I'm going to pause there because I really struggled with this passage. I want, I, we're going to do this. You can try it with your phone if you have your Bible or something. I want you to try, legitimately try, taking something in your left hand and give it to your neighbor without your right hand knowing. Try it. Dude, I sat here for about a good 10 minutes trying to figure out, can I do this? Can I legitimately do this? I want you to try it right now. Go ahead. Try it. I'm in. I'm going to hold this in my hand. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't give to your left hand, with something to your left hand, without your right hand knowing because you're connected in the head. They're both connected to the brain. It's impossible. And man, I'm struggling with this. I'm like, Lord, what on earth are you teaching? You want us to do impossible things? And then as I was praying and asking the Lord to kind of show me a little bit about how I am to understand this passage, Paul's teachings of the church being like the body came to mind. Like he says, we are all part of the body of Christ. And, and this was just, just a clear, awesome picture for me to understand a little bit about how God is working and teaching in this passage See, if we're all the body of Christ, we all play a part. Some of us might be the left hand. Some of us might be the right hand. Who's the head in the body of Christ? Christ is. He knows. He understands what your hand's doing, what you're doing, what some of you that might be the right hand or the left hand. But what is Jesus saying here as he's teaching this? He's like, hey, don't let, if you're the left hand, don't, you don't need to boast to your right hand, to the other person in the body of Christ. Hey, if you're, you're helping the needy, if you're caring for those, it isn't something you go around and tell the other body of Christ, hey, listen, look at what I've done, look at what I do. Jesus continues in this passage, he says, listen, when you give to the needy, when you care for those who are in need, when you act rightly, when you're living in the life of justice, reflecting the character and behavior of God, Make sure your heart's in the right place. You're not doing it to be noted. That means when you give and you help, you have no expectations of anything in return. You're not looking for praise from any single person in the body of Christ or outside of the body of Christ. I love how Jesus says this as he continues, so that your giving may be in secret. In secret. And he says this, and this is really profound, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, when it comes to the secret things of our heart, the secret intents, the motives of our life, we have to really come to grips with the fact that we're not hiding really anything from God. 
We're not hiding anything from God. He knows every single one of our motives. He knows every single one of our hearts. You might have everybody else in the room fooled, but you're not fooling God. He knows your heart. He knows your intent. He sees the things that are in secret. His expectation is that you do not show and boast to the rest of the people. But he sees, and I love how he says this, and he will reward you. See, in contrast to the hypocrites who received their reward, which was that momentary fleeting praise they received from man, how would much more would the praise of the Father and the creator of this universe be to you? I mean, when you compare the two, literally, when you put on one side, hey, mankind will praise me, or God himself will know and praise me and reward me. Can you even compare the two? Is it even something you can go like, yeah, man, maybe human praise is pretty good compared to God. Ah, man, it's a close. No, it's not even close. The praise of the Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm proud of you. Good job. Coming from the creator of the universe, saying to you, hey, you've done well. You've lived and you've acted righteously. Matthew 25. We'll we'll keep it in Matthew. Jesus shares a story. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, the king is Jesus, come you who are blessed by the Father. You can tie that into the Beatitudes. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. If you just want a list of how you can help the needy, here are some of those ways. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, there's that word again, those who acted rightly. They will say to him, that is Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I want you to grasp this. This is so easy to miss. What what they're saying is this, their behavior, the way they acted, was such a natural thing in their life that they did it, and it wasn't something in their head that they went, oh, somebody ought to say something about this. They didn't even recognize it. It was so much a part of their routine, their act, their character, their behavior, that it was just something that was like, hey, that's what I do. I don't even, it's just part of my life. When did I do these things? That's astounding to me. To think about what Jesus is saying here. Listen, you fed me. You clothed me. You covered me when I was naked. You welcomed me when I was kind. You went into my uh, prison cell and you visited me. You came to me when I was sick. Like that's just natural and part of their behavior. Like, man, when did I do that? Ah. It was just so much a part of their natural character and behavior that they were astounded that God even like called it out as something that they did. It was a natural response they had. And then Jesus says, 
verse 40, the king will answer them. And he says this, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The recognition of the king for the righteous acts that we walk through. So profound. I want to close this with Psalms 139, beginning in verses 1 through 4. Psalms 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before I Even before a word is on my tongue, before I speak, even before I say something, Lord, you know it all together. I want you to think about the profound impact, the secret things of our hearts that the Lord already knows. We're not hiding anything from God. We can wear the mask all day long if we want. We can put on a show, we can perform at our highest level of performance. But what's going on in the heart, God already knows. You're not hiding anything from him. And so the call today, first and foremost, if you are one who is wearing a mask, man, my encouragement to you is take it off. Start walking in true righteousness, walking in the character and behavior of who Christ is. The way you take it off is by knowing Jesus. Because Jesus isn't a pretender. He's not a faker. And he's not a poser. He's real, genuine, and authentic. And he cares for each and every one of us. Each and every one of you. And his desire is, as his children, his brothers, if you will, that we would understand and learn and know what it means to walk in true righteousness and compared to a false, shallow, hollow sense of praise and glory. He desires that we would wake up one day in eternity with the praise of the Father, where we're not shrinking down and hiding our face, that we are confident before him, say, Lord, I did as you asked me. And that's going to look different for everybody. It's going to be different people you impact in the church, in your family, in your workplace. God has people that he has intended for each and every one of you to be the the face, if you will, the hands and the feet of Jesus. There are people in your life that you know have needs. It might not just be financial needs. I want to say this. It might just be that you need to encourage them. Needs come in many different shapes and sizes. And the call is, hey, listen, if you know of a need and have the ability to meet it, you ought to meet it. If you have that ability, and it might be sending a kind word, saying, hey, thinking about you. I'd love to get coffee with you. How you doing? It might be financial. I don't know. You know someone that has maybe the need to have their yard mode and you have the ability to do it. I really don't know how the Lord's going to, Holy Spirit's going to lay somebody or, or, or put somebody in your life where you get connected to them and start acting in a way that the Lord has asked you to act. As we walk through this series, we're going to walk through some amazing teachings that Jesus has for us. And I'm just going to warn you, because I walked through this about a year ago, it's going to be uncomfortable at times. It was uncomfortable for me to write some of the devotions that are in this book. 
is really uncomfortable. But I want to tell you, walking in that uncomfortableness is for our good. It's Jesus' desire. It's for our good. He walks us through uncomfortable things so that we learn, we grow, and we reflect him more, and we get to praise him more. And when people ask us about our righteousness, we don't say it's of ourselves. We say, hey, this is who God is. We point them straight to who God is. And so walking through maybe some of those uncomfortable thoughts in your head, the uncomfortable things in your heart, because Jesus is going to, he's starting with this aspect of giving, but we're going to walk through prayer, forgiveness, what forgiveness looks like, genuine forgiveness versus disingenuous forgiveness. There's many different subject, practical things that Jesus is going to lay out for us in in, uh, Matthew 6. So I want to encourage you, though the message might be hard and uncomfortable at times, Man, we have a lot to be thankful for that Jesus is willing to walk us through what to be careful of, the warnings, as well as, hey, this is what pleases him. This is what's good. This is what his expectation is for us in our lives. And I don't know how it will affect you or what areas in your life you'll see it play out and come to fruition. My prayer is, as we walk through this series, as we walk through Jesus' words, that we would be willing to submit, even in those uncomfortable times, to his teaching and to his instruction because he gives it to us for our good so that we can grow and reflect his character and his behavior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message. Lord, it's very powerful. It's convicting in sometimes, Lord, the show that we put on for other people to see. And Lord, when our hearts are really just, quite frankly, filthy, stinky, smelly messes. Lord, we just ask that today, this week, as we walk through this series, Lord, that we would take the scrubbing and the cleaning of our hearts with a heart of gratitude and submission and just listening to you, not resisting you, that we would would really just humbly walk before you as our, our Father, first and foremost, and as our brother with Jesus, Lord, that you do this for our good. So I just ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.